This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Let me bring in the brightest panel in Hamilton Radio, though, which is what we're going to do for the next hour and 50 minutes. Uh, ladies first tonight, uh, a sophomore, back for her second time. We're always glad when the good ones are willing to come back and do this again. Uh, Ann Bookma, local activist, local writer. I understand from social media this week now, a, an actress as well. Is that, is that true? Hold on, we're going to get your microphone on here. There's some truth to that. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. I, saw, I saw you were acting you this go. week. I'm taking a theater workshop at the staircase. Excellent. Stay tuned. Stay tuned, indeed. All right. Well, and and next to her, a guy who's been here, I don't know. He's probably our most veteran member of the panel, and that that's good. That's uh, we like having it back. Mike Fortune from Cable 14, host of. I don't know how many shows he does now. Turn into Cable 14, and there's a very strong possibility you'll see Mike. I'll be there, and it's a pleasure to be here tonight, my friend. We are thrilled, thrilled to have you along. And let's start with, with a, um, a topic, a story that I saw today that i got to be honest with you. I, I, it's more than often these days that I sit around and I see something and I wonder what in the world we're doing. What in the world we are doing in our society that we seem to be losing our minds sometimes? <laughs> and this one, maybe it's not the top example of that, but boy, it jumped near the top of the list for me of what are we doing. There are now school boards. Durham region is one of them that's doing this, but there are others as well. There are schools and school boards that are now examining children's lunches when the kids arrive at school and when it's lunchtime and the kids pull open their lunchbox and pull out the food. There are now schools and school boards that are examining the lunches kids bring and deciding whether or not the lunch is healthy enough. And if it's not healthy enough, they are, ex- they are taking it away from the children and sending it back home at the end of the day with notes to the parents saying, smarten up, this is not good enough for your kids. We demand that you feed your children better before they come to our school. And as I said, ladies first tonight, is is there any defense of this kind of idiocy? Because I see it truly as honestly as really the height of idiocy. I have to agree with you. You know, uh, we don't uh, we don't use a ruler in school anymore for kids, but suddenly parents are getting slapped on the hand, it seems. I looked at the list of some of the foods that have been banned, goldfish crackers, bear paws, cheese strings, juice boxes, all of which made regular appearances in my children's lunches, I can tell you, and still do to this day, and they're in high school, uh, once in high school anyway. Um, I think it's absolutely ridiculous. I don't, it's very misguided to police food this way in schools. I think it's very damaging for children to be singled out and told that, you know, their parent didn't make a proper lunch for them. And I really think it's demeaning to parents, especially busy moms who are the ones trying to generally are the ones scrambling to put these, you know, lunches together. So it's, we it's have ridiculous. We have already, and we've seen this, Mike, we, we know now that you can't send your kids with any kind of nut products. So you got to go through and you got to eliminate peanut butter sandwiches and any kind of granola bars or something. So you got to get rid of that. And then some schools have other allergy things because they've got kids with other allergies. So we now get to these packaged products, fishy crackers and what were the other bear paws and some of the other cheese ones. Cheese strings, that, juice boxes, cheese strings. pizza. Pizza is P- a big no-no. Pizza. Funny, the school that my kids go to have pizza day every Wednesday. So they don't they don't go to school in Durham where apparently the uh, the, the food I was going to call them the food Nazis, but I'm not going to use that line, but it, the it, yeah, good choice. No, but I know what you're saying. It's it, insane. It, it is so difficult nowadays for parents on a on budgets, we're all on a grocery budget 
to go shopping and to find something that A, our kids are going to enjoy and like, and that is going to be somewhat healthy. I understand some of the, the ingredients on some of those might not be the best. But you know what? At the same time, you have to budget and work so hard to make sure that your kids have something. And then what really irks me about this is they take this lunch away and send it back home. So what, the kid just sits there and doesn't get to eat lunch? And it's really unfortunate. If, if this school board wants to do something like this, then okay, come up with an alternative. Put put healthy snacks into your school. Offer them apples. Offer them um, 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 a, a, a nice sandwich or something. Just don't take it away and say, sorry, and your parents are going to get see, a slap I on the wrist. I disagree even with that. Because who, what, what, what role is it of the school? If I want to send my kid with a chocolate bar, why should I not be able to send my, as long as it's not affecting another child by being slathered in peanuts, what difference does it make? If I decide my kid gets a chocolate bar because we made a deal at yeah. home that if you do your homework, you can get a treat and that, I mean, or anything else. What, what, and what role is it of the school, of the principal, of the teacher to say, I'm sorry, that's not healthy enough to meet our criteria. This is just bringing me back to when I was in grade school, and I remember Ben Bartles always got one of those, <laughs> oh, what was it? It was the, Wagon the, wheels. the caramel in the middle. Oh, okay. Remember those? And I was so envious, and I thought his mom must have loved him so much that he got one of those in his lunch every day. It's funny what you say about the pizza, because the Durham School Board actually disallowed a kid from having pizza in his lunch outside of the school school's designated pizza days. So that's how ridiculous it is. And I agree with you, um, Mike, that, uh, uh, you know, nutrition programs, my kids, both the schools that they went to had nutrition programs. A lot of kids don't eat in Hamilton. We know this before Mm -hmm. they go to school. There's a lot of deprived children in this city, and I'm all for nutrition programs, make it available to everybody. So that's the way the schools can say, here, you know, we're providing healthy snacks. But this is really an attack on parents, and I think it's absolutely ridiculous. What are the teachers eating in their lunch? I was who's, just who's yeah. monitoring their lunchroom? Mo- exactly. I was just going to ask. Are there if, some chips in there, perhaps? If, if they have denied the teachers using sugar in their coffee or or mm. whatever other sweetener that may not be as healthy for okay. you, or is someone saying, "I'm sorry, you're not allowed to have any sugar in your coffee"? What because kind of candy or, or pop machine do you have in the teachers' uh, lounge there? Exactly. But you're, the argument here is, well, we're trying. And I'm being as facetious and sucky as I can when I say this, because I really can imagine the tone of voice of the of the teacher marms or what's what's the don't male? assume they're marms. I was going to say I was just going to say what's the male version <laughs> of a marm? Know. I don't know. Whatever the, the male version the is, I don't know. Um, walking up one of going, those words that doesn't have a male equivalent. I can think of a few others. What whatever the male equivalent would be, man or woman walking mm-hmm. up and going that food. I'm sorry, doesn't reach our established qua- you know qualifications for nutritious yeah. enough for you to eat. If I was a kid. Honestly, and, and you'd get expelled for doing this. I'm like, would you please be quiet and mind your own business? I'm having my lunch. I, don't, don't bother me while I'm dining. You, it's very humiliating for you, kids. You, tu- and that's, you touched on that. The, you mentioned the shaming and now the humiliating. In a day and age right now where we are always talking about making sure that everyone is one and we shouldn't be bullying and, you know, respect each other. And here you have these teachers you know, coming down, looking down on them and saying, no, that's not good enough. Can you just imagine the talk that happens on the playground afterwards and how you've just taken these young minds who are trying to build themselves, you've just torn them apart and you know, it's unfortunate, you know other kids are making fun of them probably mm-hmm. now and making fun of the parents and that's not right. But here's another thing from this story, and you can read the story online, is that this isn't even like there is a standardized list where parents, where it's sent home to parents and they say, you can't bring this, 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 or this. It is seemingly entirely in the purview of each individual teacher 
to decide. So there was a kid who was being quoted, the parent, pardon me, who's being quoted, who sent her son to school with a lunch of kielbasa, cheese, and wheat thins crackers. Is that the single healthiest lunch of all time? Well, okay, it's not a bowl full of kelp. As long as it wasn't in a lunchable snack box. Yeah, but even if <laughs> that it is, I would agree with. No, but even if it is, <laughs> exactly. it, even if it is, it's not like he's dipping his tongue into a bowl of raw sugar, or it's not like he's again eating some things that we could look at and say, okay, that's that's truly horrible for you. Who's who decided that kielbasa, cheese, and crackers is not an acceptable? Lunch. So that was taken away from him? That was taken away and sent home. And a lot of the thing is these parents are being sent with notes. So it goes home with a note, as Anne pointed out, basically chastising you, verbally slapping you Mm -hmm. on the wrist for being a bad parent. Why don't we bring back healthy... Uh, hot, uh, you know, beautiful lunches for children like they do in Europe. I was watching this film and they were showing in France, they have kindergartners eating with fork and knife, you know, beautifully made pasta. Why don't we get some nonos in there and, and make them some real food if they're so concerned about it? But unfortunately, there's no money for that. Well, not only would there be no money, but honestly, if a nono, as you described, <laughs> if a grandmother or pa- or mothers or fathers volunteered, you know that there would be complaints that health my code health code violations, allergies, mm, it's up. not to my child's taste. It's And so I go to this other point on this, which I find really interesting. My kids, thankfully, for the most part, were not terribly picky eaters. They, I mean, they had things they liked and things they didn't like. My son won't, still won't eat cheese. Neither of them liked tomatoes, but we had enough variety that we could actually pack a lunch and it was going to be okay. What about the kids that legitimately just won't eat a lot of stuff? And the few things they will eat now, teachers are saying, I'm sorry, that's not acceptable. You can't bring that into the classroom. And And we know what happens to kids who don't eat all day. Exactly. They're grumpy. They're not learning. They're not focused. So what's worse? To have a kid who's hungry and not learning or to have a kid who will eat something that maybe doesn't measure up to your level of what is the pinnacle of health, you know, that they're not eating a kale salad every day in school with no dressing, just plain kale, just a bowl of kale, which is probably the ideal. At least some people would think so. Maybe with some sunflowers, unsalted (laughs) sunflower (laughs) seeds sprinkled on top. No no dressing. No dressing, of course (laughs) not. Uh, What's worse, to have a kid who eats some things that maybe aren't as perfectly healthy as we'd like or a kid who's now going to be hungry and not able to concentrate? You want to be able to have a child that can have a bit of attention span and be able to focus. So uh, you you need something, you need some sort of fuel in your stomach. Uh, even if it isn't maybe the healthiest option uh, to, to just to keep them focused and, you know, let everything else happen at, at home afterwards. It's it's I, I'd like to see what these teachers actually look like. Are they all like tall, prim Super and proper fit. models and they're working out 12 Buffed. hours a day? Like, come they on. Better we be. are. Yeah, yeah, like we are. Exactly. <laughs> but all they three better be. Right. They, they better they be. They certainly better be. They better because if you're going to be setting the example, if the whole point behind this is that we're setting a good example that you need to learn from. Mm-hmm. You know, not to, uh, if you are a 350-pound teacher, you don't seem to me, and I again, it's not about pointing, not about fat shaming or whatever you want to call it, but if you're a 350-pound teacher and you come along and you start telling the kids you can't eat that, what? how do the kids understand those messages? And again, I'm not saying you can't have fat teachers 
Of course we can. We How can have, generous of you, Scott. No, but not if you're going to be telling them that they have to be the one who's going to tell a kid that they can't eat a particular food because it's not healthy. The message that is sent is so mixed and so misunderstood then. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago that schools had vending machines with pop and chips and candy. You know, and I know there's a lot of crap. You know, I'm looking at this picture of the Kool-Aid, the Kool-Aid with the straw. Um, there's a lot of crap that's marketed, you know, for kids. And it's hard to avoid some of that. But uh, it's no place of the teachers to do that. But what, really did, the, did the so. kids in the schools, when those vending machines were there, when pop was sold in the schools, did those kids fail out of school? Did they all die of diabetes? Did they fail miserably when they moved on to other parts of life? They survived. We well, all survived. Because we know. were all in high school. We all had those, I think. And our, by the gymnasium, the vending machines, mm-hmm. we would all have a Mountain mm-hmm. Dew and a Doritos or whatever. And we, we, I think we turned out all right, the three of us. <laughs> well, no, but it, again, we sometimes, I look at this, and we may get to something similar later on in the show, but we've tried to socially navigate this perfect culture now mm-hmm. and we make it more and more and more and more and more difficult so that every road that narrows and narrows and narrows we get to the point where well what do you do now if you're a parent and leaving all the other things aside you know what eating really healthy is expensive what do you do if you're a parent now who and you mentioned I know you weren't poking fun at people like this but if you have one of those what did you call the boxes with the lunchables the, the lunchables which are cheap and you know they're not the worst thing I mean they, they are loaded with But if that's what you but can afford But if it's $2 and that's it's on sale exactly If that's what you can afford yeah. Who are we to judge Why can you are you going to tell the parent now I'm yeah. sorry you I know that's all you can afford but it's not good enough mm-hmm. yeah. If it's a and even if this was a private school which funnily, interesting, funnily, that's, interestingly enough, funnily. you never hear this stuff coming okay. from private schools. But I- even if this was a private school, maybe you could say we have a different way of doing things here. This is a public school. You you're can going agree to the rules. You're going to have people of lower socioeconomical economic status positions here. They may not be able to afford to do better than this. Mm-hmm. And you're now sending it home saying. You are a failure. Bad food is cheap, right? Bad food is cheap. Mm-hmm. So it is very hard for people who, who uh, you know, can't afford organic, fresh food. Exactly. It's very expensive. And, you know, the thing about the vending machines, I'm all for schools taking pop out, out of the schools. I think that's a good idea. However, when you think about it, I look at Westdale where my daughter goes to school. No vending machines. What do they all do at lunchtime? They walk down to the pizza joint. They walk to the variety store. Some of them don't come back after class. You know what I mean? So that has its consequences as well. And there you're not getting a small can of 355 milliliters. You're getting there, a big you, gulp. there you're getting the big gulp, and it's bigger than your bladder. So, you know, mm-hmm. what, what's, mm-hmm. what's worse, what's and better? And what's going to happen down the road when a student now, when they, you have to do a project that says what I did on my summer vacation or what I did over Christmas, and you start writing about this food, that wasn't good. Do you fail now because you didn't follow the, I mean, again, it seems like a ridiculous suggestion, but is it any more ridiculous than what we're talking about? There's a lot of good things that schools can be doing, like nutrition programs in the school where they provide healthy snacks and talk about healthy nutrition during health class. That's mm-hmm. great. That should be the extent of it. They shouldn't be policing kids' lunches. And I don't think anyone's agreeing with that, although it apparently is going on. I have to say the school that my kids go to um, is, is fantastic, where they go through a nutritional program and the kids you know, have to pick and choose at the younger ages what's healthy, what's not, so on and so forth. And then I think as a parent, if you can, if you you have the means and all that, then you work that into your lifestyle as well. You have them get involved helping make your lunch. But let's face it as well, there's going to be times when my wife and I, we're bagged, we're exhausted, we've had a really long day. 
here's a Lunchable, here's a here's a thing of water, here's a little granola bar that's peanut free because we had to shop all over for that, and you know, <laughs> l- and, and maybe an Oreo cookie, and look, that's your lunch day. But you know what? You're having a healthy breakfast and you're having a healthy dinner. The headline, two out of three ain't bad. Two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> we got to go to a break, but the headline on the story comes from a quote within the story. There's a Toronto Star story that I'm reading from, and the parents are describing themselves as infuriated. That's their quote. And would you be infuriated if this was your kid and their lunch was sent back? Absolutely. Mike? I would take it as a personal slight against my mothering. (laughs) I I would definitely be infuriated. With that said, I would maybe look within myself and say, could I maybe do a little bit better? Wow. You would take it way better than I would because I would be infuriated and I would send the same lunch back tomorrow and I would keep (laughs) sending the same. Special one for the teacher. (laughs) (laughs) That lunch would go back until it was finally eaten. Yeah, special one for the teacher. You know, this isn't isn't the 50s where, you know, moms were home all day and we could pack, you know, people are busy and that's why these snack foods are, our lives are crazy, crazy busy. Please don't put this extra pressure on us. And we didn't even talk about it and I'm out of time, but if you recall a couple of weeks ago on this show... We were talking about the fact that there are other schools that are saying you are not allowed to pack your food in any garbage. It must all be recyclable. So now you've got schools saying you must have perfect nutrition and no garbage. There comes a point, honestly, when you say homeschooling really starts to sound pretty darn good. Yeah, but that means you got to stay home and homeschool your kids. I know. I understand. My kids had a no garbage policy in their grade school, and it was excellent. It made them so aware of the garbage that they created, and they brought it home. I I have no objection to that program. I don't have a problem with it either. To me, that's very... You know uh, what? If you've got Very some, citi- great citizenship, but this policing lunches is a whole other matter. If you've got some garbage left over from lunch, there's a simple answer to it. When you're driving home, you roll down the window and just toss it out the window. What kind oh. of world are you going to leave your children, Scott? <laughs> you're promoting littering now? I'm uh, sorry, my tongue is poking right through my cheek. <laughs> Quick break, back after this on the Scott Radley Show. Uh. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. In studio with Mike Fortune from Cable 14 and Ann Bookma, who is an activist, a writer. And now we understand an Italian widow. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, People are going to be wondering. My husband's like, what? What? Yes. <laughs> during the break, we were chatting because Ann has started an acting course and she had to, for her first class, come as someone very unlike herself, and she came as an Italian widow. Do you want to give us a taste of the Italian accent? Oh, I know, I'm <laughs> Come too. on, let's do it. I was telling them that I failed miserably, and I realized acting is way harder than I ever <laughs> thought, so... Uh I feel on the I'm not good in the spotlight. All right, let's, yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll let you give wait. me a couple weeks. Yeah, we'll, we'll let you come back it. when it's yeah. when it's uh, yeah. when it's locked down. <laughs> Wanted to ask you about something. There is a word that has been we hear it all the time, but it seems to be in my mind anyway. I seem to hear it a lot these days, in a lot of different contexts. But we talk about it in our country as a strength, and I think theoretically. That is, that is correct, that this would be a strength. The word is diversity. We have heard the word diversity thrown around in this country and a lot of places lately an awful lot. And just when was it that uh, Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister Trudeau, spoke at the United Nations? Was that last week or, or is time flying by last yeah. week? And he, gets, he said this, in Canada... We see diversity as a source of strength, not weakness. Our country is strong, not in spite of our differences, but because of them. So we've got the idea, and I think most people would say, yeah, you know what, diversity, okay, I'm, I'm good with diversity. Diversity is a good thing. The question is, Mike, what I, what I can't seem to fully get an answer from people or get a sense from people is, 
What do we actually mean by diversity? Because I think that when the when the word is thrown out in general terms, we've just had in the last year we've had all the Syrian refugees coming to Canada, and so we use diversity in that context. We're bringing people in from other countries. So I think for most people. The first thing we think of when we hear diversity is people of different culture or color. Would you agree? Is that what you think most people think of when they hear diversity? When you first brought this topic up during the break, that was the first thing that popped into my mind. I, I've had a minute or so now to think about it. And I now now that I've had that time, I, diversity to me is how people, how people think. How we can all have different opinions, right or wrong, agree or disagree, that to me is is diversity now that I've had a time to think about it. But I think if you talk to most people, what's diversity? People that aren't your typical white Canadians. Right. And that's that's to me that's the and would you agree that that's the first thing that would come to most people's mind if yeah, you say, I would say diversity yeah, it's, European background. I would also say heterosexual. It's hmm. seen as generally in the history of our country as the norm and we have a great especially late you know great deal of gender diversity now that we weren't hearing about 10 or 20 years ago but it's uh, it's a huge. very the, the idea that we get when most people say diversity is a visual or an obvious thing that would be difference within people a, a, a color a nationality as you say a gender thing it's something that you can see usually you can't always tell with gender or or sexual preference right mm-hmm. but uh uh yeah i would generally say that's because the interesting, guess, yeah. you know, the question that I came, that I was thinking about as we started following this whole diversity thing, and again, you go to this quote, in Canada, this is from, again, the Prime Minister, in Canada, we see diversity as a source of strength, not weakness. Our country is strong, not in spite of our differences, but because of them. All right. So we know that in Canada over the years, we have done a very good job being a country of immigrants. We have been built on people who have come from other parts of the world and we have taken them in and they've been allowed to maintain, unlike the States, which has been a melting pot, we've been a mixed bag. You can come here and you have Chinatown, you have Little Italy, you have Little Portugal, you have all these places. Mm -hmm. But what about diversity as thought? Because this is, to me, this is far more complicated because the more I, the more we go along, seems to me that the less we are tolerant of people who disagree with us. So we love the idea of different cultures being here. It seems to me many people are not so thrilled when someone disagrees with them. We want people to have a homogenized way of thinking. I've said this on the show, I don't know how many times, people nowadays are too sensitive. I have no problem if Anne or you or Scott, I I don't care if people disagree with me. I have my thought and that's what it is. If you don't agree with it, that's okay. And if I don't agree with something that you say, Scott, you know what? I'm not going to get all wrapped up about it. I'm not going to stew over it for the next week. You have your thought. I respect and I appreciate that. And I'm going to move on with my life. There are bigger things in this world to worry about than, than always being arguing with someone and making sure that you get your point across and everyone should see your way. You don't always have to be right, folks. But Mike, I think that that makes you somewhat unique. I do. I've I been think told I, that. No, <laughs> no but Anne, what do you, do you, th- do we well, have a, do we have a tolerance for people who disagree with us on important if issues? If someone disagrees with you and they do so in a respectful way and you completely disagree with their opinion, but they do it in a respectful 
way where they're listening to you, you're listening to them. That's one thing. But um, a lot of people, we look at things like online trolls or people who are so insulting anonymously where their attacks are vicious and violent even. And we're going to be talking, I think, about online stuff later. So I really think it's the way that you disagree with people that's important. Um, I don't know if it's so much diversity of thought as variety of opinion. To me, diversity of thought... It seems to me it's more about variety, you know, that there's a variety of opinions out there and uh, people are entitled to their opinions as long as other people feel safe, you know. And, and you know, you, it's, it's a quote out there, opinions are like noses. Everyone has one. Okay, but well, you don't... Some of us bigger ones than others. Yeah, exactly. Bigger opinions than others. And noses are not always the and, body and part and people and talk and about. You know, there's nothing wrong with opinions, but... And, and you don't have to... I, I don't get why certain people have to just constantly try to ram their opinion down your throat to try to brainwash you. Well, because you. they really believe in something, maybe. Uh, like, uh, you look at people who are arguing on Trump's side or people who are arguing on Hillary uh, Clinton's side. See, she had I'm not, to get I'm not taking, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not taking a side here, although I'm no, sure know. people know what side I'd be on. Um, but people are passionate yeah. because, on both sides, because they truly care. And so, I mean, passion in an argument, mm -hmm. and caring about your opinion... I think it's really important, right? Because it's it's your values. It's what you think is best for the world. Uh, you know, it's great to be passionate about your opinions. It's, it's not great to be insulting to other people. It's great to have the passion, but at the end of the day, I'm going to turn around my heels and go, okay, that conversation's done. I'm moving on with my life. But let me give you an example of, of where we come from, where right. this gets very challenging and where this gets very tricky. We love, and I think most people really do in this country, appreciate the idea of what we've done in the past with immigration and, and the diversity of bringing people from other countries into this into the country. But when you bring people from certain countries, there are thoughts and there are philosophies and there are religious beliefs and there are other things which we say, no, we don't accept those here. So you have many people, and not just Muslims, but you will use that for an example right now, who would say, you know what, we disagree. We've come over from the Middle East and we vehemently disagree with gay marriage. Here, we would say, well, sorry, that's not an acceptable thing to think. But that's diversity, is it not? For them to be well, able to hold on to that thing, that is diversity. But we're saying, we like your culture. We like the fact that you're different from us and you color our world a little bit differently. But we don't like some of the things that you think. But isn't that also diversity? There's a lot of other uh, groups of people besides Muslims yes, of course. Who, who don't like gays. I mean, I could tell you uh, my family is a Dutch, it comes from a Dutch, you know, immigrated from Holland. Uh, you know, a few 10,000 10, 10, people or so immigrated from Holland or a few, I'm not exactly sure of the numbers, but um, and a lot of those people were extremely conservative, didn't believe that women should vote. Uh, certainly we're against gay marriage and lots of other groups do as well. Listen, the important thing is that they have to abide by our laws. People have to abide by our laws if they come to this country, right? So people are entitled to their views. And a lot of people have very narrow-minded views. A lot of white people have very narrow-minded views. I use that example um, mostly because that's the recent influx right. of the yeah, most of course yeah. th that have come in. You're absolutely right that there have been people in the past. But, right. but you say they have to be respectful of our laws. Of course they do. We don't want people committing acts of violence because they disagree. At the same time... I think, and I think that there would be a lot of people in this country that would say you are not entitled to hold that point of view. Even if you would never act out in a violent way, you are not entitled to that or to others. That's not the only one. And that's what I'm talking about diversity. Are we okay with someone 
say, believing something that is contrary to what we hold as now the norm? We have to be okay with it. Just like there are so many different religious groups in Canada who believe in different things, right? Or atheists who don't believe in anything. Uh, are we going to tell them they have to think like us? We have to be tolerant of it. It's the actions and abiding by the laws that's important. We can't legislate that everyone thinks the same. Exactly. It's just not possible. I agree with that. And, you know, I've been told I'm, I'm narrow-minded and I, I can are be on, on, on certain <laughs> topics. Yes, I definitely can be. But at the end of the day, and you just you hit on this a little bit earlier, at the end of the day... I got one thing in my life to worry about, and that is my wife and my kids and how the Fortune family operates on a daily basis. And as long as I'm respectful to people, and there are, we all have moments where we probably go off a little bit, as long as I'm respectful to people, I don't really care what your opinion is. You have your opinion. Hey, good on you. I've had your, you've had your discussion. I'm now moving on with my life because there's three other people that I only care about, and that's what I'm focusing on. In my, I'm not going to lose sleep over what your thoughts and opinions are. I would say, too, that Canada, is, although we have a very tolerant history, we also have a very uh, negative history in terms of treating our treatment of certain immigrant groups, like the Chinese head tax and Japanese internment. And if we look at our first people who are here, Aboriginal people, uh, do we include them in the circle of diversity? I mean, they were the original people here, and yet they're the most marginalized group in Canada. So when we talk about diversity, it's interesting. Uh, you know, uh, who we include in that and who we see as being diverse because they were the first people and yet we see them as diverse. See, when I, I say we, I mean us white people in no, the room, right? I agree. And you I know? think that when we talk about diversity, uh, and I go back to this, I really believe that when we, not just in this room, but we as Canadians, whatever you want to describe as Canadians, when we think and we talk about diversity, what I think a lot of people, maybe most people think is the fact that we can find an ethnic restaurant, that we now have that opportunity, the fact that we have, we're not all white people here, but we don't like to think beyond that. We like, w most people I still think like to think of diversity as something that colors our, in, in, literally and figuratively, colors our country, but we don't want to go below the surface because if you disagree, if you've come with a different point of view, if you want to wear a burqa, or a hijab, you know what, I'm sorry, I don't accept that. And we say we're tolerant, but we're tolerant as far as someone agreeing with what we agree with. And if we're true, and true diversity, it would seem to me, would allow, for better or for worse, you to believe anything you want and everyone's okay with that. And the funny part is, I don't know that that's good either. Mm -hmm. No, I think you're talking about variety of opinion. I think that's different than diversity. And, you know, I think about myself growing up in the 70s in small town Ontario. I went to a large high school I did not know a single person who wasn't white. I look at my girls who went to Westdale. They know people from all over the world and have friends mm -hmm. with such a broad variety of, of people. I just think it's incredible. And I look at the city of Hamilton and how it's been so welcoming to Syrians and immigrants. And not just like, we'll bring you over, we'll help you with money, but actually getting involved. I know lots of people who have done that, getting to know these newcomers as, as people and as families. So I think we have a lot to learn from each other. If we all ate the same every day and did the same, you know, it would be a boring world. And that's what makes Canada so unique and Diverse. yes there are going to be <laughs> there are going to be people that we have differences of opinions with i mean that is true but it's how it's how we differ and you I know think how we differ how we how we express that how we how we differ how we express and then how we how we handle the opinion afterwards that's the interesting part what happens we got about a minute before we have to go to a break what happens mike if your house next to you goes up for sale 
and the person who I'd moves be thrilled because I don't <laughs> like my neighbor right now. It'd be oh. Awesome. Is that your, is this uh, looking at the crystal ball? All right, or or the person who's there now. But let's say the person who moved in yeah. had vastly, wildly different, strong opinions. Now they weren't going to firebomb your house. They weren't going to throw dog poop over the fence. They just strenuously disagree with you on a variety of things. And when you go out there and you get talking, you find that they're not backing down and you're not. Are you good with those neighbors? Or are you saying, you know what, I just don't really love that they don't agree with me and I'll try to avoid them? I bite my tongue, I keep my head down, and I worry about, again, as I said earlier, I worry about my family. I don't care what that person is doing, thinking, or saying. i got three other people in my life that I care more about how they think of me. And above all else, Canadians are polite. Very polite, there you go. So, you know, chances are we all live on a street with people that we have totally opposing opinions with mm-hmm. but th- those most people are polite about it right so maybe you don't invite them to the backyard barbecue but you don't have to be nasty about it you, yeah. you and neither never, should they be and, and i think that's what my mom always said if you don't have something nice to say then don't say it so you're telling me mike that in your life you've never done the flaming bag of dog dew on someone's front porch <laughs> no i have not <laughs> and, and 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 you His know children what children are listening no no well it's it's just you know what that's not worth it because that just opens up a whole nother can of poop, if you will. Um, but, you know, nowadays with how you can get caught and so on and so forth, and let's face it, you and I, Scott, we're kind <laughs> You're of... You're worried about getting caught? Well, we're, hey. <laughs> we're guys. Of course we are. <laughs> we're, we're in this world where we try to build up our reputation, and I'm not going to let some some stupid neighbor who's got a dumb opinion or who, who does something stupid to me, I'm not going to ruin it all because I want to break the law or, or try to get scratched their car or something. I'm not going to do that. So head down, be polite, and just move on. As a child, once... Once I played Nicky Nicky Nine Door in <laughs> oh, the I used neighborhood, to do that. yeah. And my best friend at the time, it was his turn to go to the house and do the door while we all took off. And he rang the doorbell, and the people were at the door saying goodbye to some friends. So the door opened before he could get his finger <laughs> off the doorbell, and that was the end of our Nicky Nine Door because mom and dad found out. And so you know what, oh, Mike such a bad boy. Such a, and, and now that we're at the age we are, it, it, it's even worse if you do Nicky Nine Door in your forties. <laughs> Unless you're doing it with another 40-year-old buddy of yours and you've had a few drinks. (laughs) You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Let us move along with Mike and with Anne in the meantime as you ponder that one, as you let it rumble around in your brain. Great piece of music. I, I wish we could play you the whole thing, but that would kind of defeat the purpose of what we do here by being a talk show. Uh, we would be switching over to a classical music show, which, you know, probably the people who run this place would wonder what was going on. Um, Mike, we have heard now for months, months discussions about the LRT. Mm -hmm. We are not going to be talking about the LRT tonight. To the great relief of thousands (laughs) of listeners saying, oh, thank goodness we're not talking more LRT. The LRT has become this generation's stadium, which had become that generation's Red Hill Creek Expressway, which had become that generation's Swaru. There's always one of these stories that just doesn't seem to have an ending. So we're not going to be talking about LRT. You can have your thoughts on LRT. You can debate with LRT. It'll be talked about on this station again, I guarantee you, but we're not talking about LRT. Mike, what we are going to talk about tonight is Chad Collins, Councillor Chad Collins has come forward saying he is going to be making sure, he is going to be pushing forward a motion that we will have a referendum in this city on whether we should get the LRT, whether we should accept the money from the province for the LRT. So the question is, 
do we like the idea on huge issues of massive civic and municipal disagreement and discussion and importance, do we like the idea of taking it to the people and saying, yes, this is something upon which we should have a referendum. Let the people decide because it's so divisive. Or do we say, no, our referendum was when we had the municipal election and we elected you people to make these kind of decisions. So should that be the referendum or should we be having another referendum on this particular issue? People have the choice to vote in their elected officials. That's all they should have the say in when it comes to this particular issue. A referendum at this point during this uh, council term and with everything that we're dealing with, budget and paying double for hydro is a complete joke. It's a complete waste of money. And councillors are hiding behind, I think, their responsibilities. So they're abdicating their responsibility. I agree with that a thousand percent. They're hiding behind it and they should be able to stand up and they need to be counted who says yay, who says nay. And to be able to to be able to push that aside and say, you know, we're going to let the people do it. That is not why we voted you in, folks. We voted you in to make these tough decisions. Work as one. And we see city council, unfortunately, doesn't do that on a regular basis. And this is a very split issue. I get that black, white, and sitting right on the fence. But this is one where council needs to get together and make the decision themselves. And full agreement or complete disagreement? Uh, full agreement, really. I mean, uh, we didn't have referendums on red, you know, the expressway or uh, the stadium. I think it's a big waste of money. I don't think Hamilton can afford it. I would much rather see uh, funds going to people who are really hurting in the city. Um, and I think that council has to show leadership. That's what they're voted in for, to make these tough decisions, to work together. And I think citizens who feel strongly about it need to call their councillor and express their views and why they think it's good for the city or why they think it isn't. But it's just uh, shirking their responsibility by, um, by uh, you know, asking for a huge expensive referendum. It's ridiculous. What about the idea that some people will bring forward, though, that says, you know what, when, I, when we had our municipal election... We either didn't have a great number of candidates to choose from because they were all either in favor or all against it. So when I elected an official, I didn't really have a say in whether or not I like the LRT because they all, all my choices all believed the same thing. Simple answer then. Put your hat in the ring and you run. Well, there's that. There's you, that. You don't like, you don't like the choices? Then put up your whatever the dollar amount is to put your name on that ballot. You go out, you campaign, you knock on doors, you put signs everywhere you can, and you see what it's like. Or lobby. I mean, call your city, you know, councillor, uh, express your opinion, march in a rally, you know, write a letter to the editor. There's lots you can do to raise awareness around um, your opinion and influence other people, even within your own sphere of influence. And you said something that I think hits home for a lot of people with this particular issue is whether or not you like the idea of a referendum. One of the concerns is we're a city that is not flush with cash. Mm -hmm. And if this is going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, that's is that kinda... the best use of our money? I don't a think so. And so you could make a case. Okay, look, um, we're going to put this on a, you know, we see this on in the states especially. We're going to put this on the ballot when the election rolls around, all right? When, we're, when we have the municipal election rolling around, you can vote for your councillor. And we're also going to have, 
a, a thing on there separate. Now, the problem is we have to decide on this before we have another municipal election. So there are not just, the LRT is not the only thing that is of debate for people. If we were ever going to have a referendum on this, should it be on this or should we say, wait a second, we've got four or five things, term limits for city councillors, all these other things. If we're going to do it, should it be a vast referendum that says we've got five, six, ten issues, you're going to vote on all of them at once. We're doing this one time, that's it, let's get it all done with. I think that is way too complex and way too unwieldy and I think leadership is about you know, picking, trying to pick the right people. Once they're in there, they have to work together. And, and this is what leadership is. It's making decisions, right? It's coming together for the good of the city, not just your riding. Well, that's that's the toughest mm-hmm. part, Mike. Mm-hmm. That's the toughest mm-hmm. part because we don't have, I think most people would agree, we don't have a city council that most people say is about the betterment of the big picture of the city. It's about the betterment of the riding or the the, the ward that you serve. And we understand that because you're elected by your ward. Mm-hmm. So your your obligation as a councillor is to look out for the betterment of your ward. That's mm-hmm. that's what you're voted in for. You're looking out for the betterment of your ward with also keeping in mind what's also better and great for this city. There has to be that understanding that you have to do you have to do both you have to i mentioned this on on city matters with uh, hosted by darren laban with sandy shaw you have to have balance when you are an elected official and you also have to be able to go to your constituents say okay thank you very much for giving me all your information i will now present this to council but when you have some of these councillors just banging the fist and banging the drums saying no it's our way or the highway and it's us against you that is not a team-oriented type of council that is going to get things done. And we're seeing that over and over and over on many different levels. And aren't we seeing that on a macro scale as well? Ontario politics, federal politics, U.S. politics, so much divisiveness, right? Do, do, do these politicians really try to work together? When you, when you want to get back in on the next term and you know that your constituents, you know, you need their vote, it, it sort of um, promotes short-term thinking in a way. You well, know, the very you, nature of the beast is problematic. If you are a Hamilton councillor who has a downtown ward, you and you want to get re-elected, you don't care what's going on in Flamborough. You just don't. I mean, unless unless you are that one person who is either not running again or who is has such name recognition that there's no chance someone's going to beat you, because I don't think the person, and, and vice versa, if you're someone on the mountain and you want to get reelected, you're appealing to your people and their concerns, not the people downtown. So you don't care what's going on Were downtown. Were there any downtown candidates who voted for the uh, the expressway on the mountain? I wonder. I, you know what? I would any, have to. I would know, have to go back yeah, and look. It'd be interesting to, to see the history of that and how that played out. And we've we've talked about this, and we're not going to go into this whole thing again tonight about how there are ways that this could be fixed. There are ve- not there are not very complicated ways that this could be fixed. Number one on my list, and again, I'm not going to go into the discussion of it, is you change the wards so that every councillor has a chunk of the downtown and a chunk of the outskirts in, so they've got people of both that they have to deal with. But, see, I don't mind, uh, unlike you two, I don't mind, in fact, I kind of like the idea of a referendum for one particular reason. It was what we just talked about. You can't in this city have councillors voting big picture. It just is the the system is not designed 
for that. It's not built for people to be looking big picture. And so if you leave it to the constituents for this one thing, then maybe you end up with a, an answer. Now, it's an answer not half the people aren't going to like or 45%. Are constituents going to vote big picture? And, and no, I doubt it. No. And, so and, how and, is that any going to change? How enough. is that going to be any better? Fair and what, what if the referendum, what if you do do a referendum and it's 51-49? Well, that's not even unanimous. So you, well, you'll never get unanimous. But but that's where you're going to have to put in some particulars. You're going to have to do something to, to make it all worthwhile because a 51-49 is still not the right answer. You want to know what I honestly, part of the reason that I honestly believe that this has become such an issue, and both of you, feel free to disagree with me if you want, and that's fine. We have had so much discussion in recent years, it seems around the council ta- table, there has been so much emphasis on the downtown that it seems, I think, to a lot of people who live on the mountain and in the outskirts that it's become an imbalance, and now we're going to throw another billion dollars at the downtown. And so whether that's fair or not, as far as whether that imbalance actually exists, I really believe for people who are on the mountain, there seems to be this perception. The stadium had to be in the downtown. The build-up... What about the expressway on the mountain? That was, well, when was the Red Hill built now? That's 20 years? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, so it's, still, it's, it's major, it, the original major concept was in the fifties. Major investment. Yes, my, yeah. my the point I is see your point. There. I know in the last decade, at. decade and a half, there has been so much emphasis that everything we must rebuild the downtown. That the the weight seems to be all the discussion seems to be about mm-hmm. the downtown, and I think a lot of people in the suburbs and on the mountain are saying, "Enough, enough." Mm-hmm. And if we're throwing a billion dollars. Even though this is not a billion dollars from what we understand that we can reapply elsewhere. It's not like we can win the billion dollar lottery and move it to the suburbs. It's LRT or bust. I think that's where this thing, a lot of it comes from. We're tired of the downtown discussion. A lot of people are saying there's people other parts of the, the city. People who live on the mountain might feel that way. People yeah. live Flamborough, Dundas, Stony Creek. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. are saying enough with yeah. the downtown. And The downtown is the heart of Hamilton in a lot of ways. I, it's where a lot of the I businesses are. It's where a lot of the you know infrastructure is. I understand. Um, I'm it's where the tourists per- come. They don't go to you know they don't go to Flamborough. The perception I believe is mm-hmm. that we're spending too much time on the downtown, and this is it's not even about the LRT. It's the perception. I'm going to throw your perception out of whack because I live on the West Mountain and it does not bother me one iota. Because when you are when you when you want to be known as a great city, a Toronto, a Vancouver, mm-hmm. a Chicago, you're not going to Chicago to go to the suburbs. You're not going to Toronto to go to the suburbs. You're going to Toronto. You're, you're going to go to the downtown. Wait a second, Wrigley Field is. is in the suburbs. Okay, so you're going to Wrigley <laughs> Field. Okay, what are you doing after that? Maybe a restaurant. Wrigleyville. But, but Wrigleyville. <laughs> I have no life, problem Scott. that there is a discussion. Always about downtown. If it's downtown that needs fixing, it's need needed fixing for many, 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 many years. Then okay, I don't have a problem with that. As long as my I'm paying my taxes, my my streets are shoveled and everything's being looked after there. Little projects are being done with infrastructure. That's great. Let's. I don't have a problem focusing on downtown. It doesn't bother me. Let's make it better. Let's be proud of our exactly. downtown. We've got gorgeous suburbs, but our downtown does need help. And we got beautiful buildings down there. We got wonderful mm-hmm. restaurants. Mm-hmm. And you take a walk along James Street during Supercrawl. You know what? James Street has some character to it. And it's it's coming back. It's Lock very Street exciting. It's beautiful. Very exciting. So focus on the downtown. I don't have. I a think problem what's good with d- it. good for downtown is good for Hamilton. And I, it's unfortunate that there is this huge historic divide. You know, yeah. uh, I have to say I never go to the mountain. So 
Never. So, and there's the other side. I never go. I just don't have a reason to go. I, everything I see, have. See, here's the referendum downtown. I want. I want yeah. a referendum that we will take the billion dollars and build cable cars from all over I the like mountain downtown. We used to have them. That, we did. Yeah. Yeah. I like that idea. There was a mayoral candidate. Let's bring candidate. the city together. I, I forget her name. The mayoral candidate. She actually proposed that as well during the last election. I want it to be like the CNE where you've got those cable cars all across yeah. the top of the city going everywhere. Just a cable car city. That would be a gondola city. <laughs> cable that would be car city. A gondola city would that be a Good marketing to it. There the different go. kind of gondola. Hamilton Venice tourism, has the gondolas. Are you listening? Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, we're, we got all the ideas right here. Bradley for know? council. Quick, uh, no, <laughs> no. Let's not leave on that note. <laughs> I mean, never, that, never, that's never. the other thing. It's easy to criticize these folks, but uh, you got to walk in their shoes too. Yeah. There yeah. have been people who have sat in this chair with very deep voices who d- ended up running for office. This mm-hmm. will not be one of them. Mm-hmm. Let me assure you right here, right now. Bob Until Bertina you're wined and dined and not, wooed. No, there will not be a Bob the Bertina-like recon- thing re- happening. recognition here. factor, no. Scott. Think of it. No, 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 Think no. of the glory. Ann Bookma, <laughs> mayor of Hamilton. There you go. Never. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. This evening's duo for the brightest panel in Hamilton Radio, and more than living up to their advanced billing, let me tell you, very, very bright people, seriously carrying the host of the show this evening, which is a good thing, because... Someone's got to do it. Someone's got to do it, exactly right. <laughs> but he's heavy. No, 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 there is no doubt about, uh, about the fact that when uh, I try and invite people to come in and do the brightest panel, I am not looking for people that are going to make me look bright. I'm looking for people to carry this thing. Surround yourself with people smarter than you, right? That's that's always the mm. saying. Which is really not that hard. <laughs> but Surprisingly, not better looking, Scott. Not better looking and not with shorter hair. The two of you, I mean, I, I'm... I'm I, I, in the hair department here, I'm way behind. My too. wife has been missing your hair comments, by the way. Has oh. she? Just so you know, yeah. <laughs> well, Mrs. Fortune, <laughs> give me a few. Today's minutes. your lucky day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I, I probably I gave up because I thought I used them all because Mike does have the. the I mean, uh, for a guy, and back me up on yeah. this. Mike has the most. He's got. Maj- he's got like majestic <laughs> hair. Elvis hair. Elvis in, hair in a good way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. No. Yeah. I mean, very, it's uh, very polished. Very groomed. Hey. For 42, it looks okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it, Mike nice. is Mike is as lucky. Is it colored, Mike? No, no this is all no, natural. natural. Yeah. yeah, and it sort of you know it's like rises it's above little your head. Pompadour it's, thing yeah, going yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. Please, some, uh, you're using some. What do they call that? Wax or not? Pom- no, this is no, gel and hairspray, gel. baby. Yes, for, for just for product. people who just tuned in, though, <laughs> Mike product. did not say that he's in the studio. Oh, natural. I want to make that clear. It's his hair that is oh natural. It's not that kind of show. I don't know what time of the week you can tune in here to get that kind of show. I don't know if we have. Good, clean fun. Good, clean fun. Yeah, you know what? I don't know if uh, Ruth Westheimer is still doing a show, but I don't <laughs> think she's on She's CHML. 110 and still at it. Ooh. Oh. Well, yeah, I learned me, a lot from her. Let me regroup for <laughs> a second go. here. I liked that her would, too. That would be Dr. Ruth. You know what? Interesting point. This is a true story. You know what Dr. Ruth's actual training was, what her first real job was? No. This is absolutely true. She was a sniper in the Israeli army. Really? Wow. Could you so imagine? She's one tough lady. Jeez. Well, either that or she snuck off from her sniper duties. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. Let's see. Sniper trainer or sex therapist. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. You know, you can tie the two together. It's a juggle. Together. Fascinating. <laughs> uh, you know what? Let's. Uh, unfortunately, it's going to uh, bring it down a little notch here, the next little topic we're going to do. But um, this one, uh, you know, we have talked, we know that in this country, the, the new federal government has talked that they are going to be bringing in doctor-assisted suicide. Honestly, I, I can't remember. Someone could probably clarify, Ann or Mike could probably... I don't think we've had the law passed yet, but it's certainly in the works as far as where things stand. 
we are heading down that road. And, and the interesting part about the discussion, the troubling part, I guess, is the word maybe, is what are we going to allow? And originally it was going to basically be anything. And then there were a lot of people that said, well, wait a second. Do we want people who are depressed to be able to use depression as a cause of doctor-assisted suicide? I mean, do we want the mentally ill who are possibly treatable being able to have a doctor help them commit suicide? That seems kind of dangerous. And then the issue became, well, what about kids? What about kids who have an illness? Well, the reason I bring this all up again today is Earlier this month, I meant to do this topic last week. We couldn't get to it. But earlier this month, uh, two weeks ago, a child was the first in Belgium to be euthanized under their doctor-assisted suicide law. And what's interesting about this is they, like Canada, had originally set out when they came out with their law for doctor-assisted suicide, their law had specified no children. But... As someone went to court and argued that, well, why should a child be forced to suffer when an adult doesn't have to? The courts opened the door for children to now be to qualify for this. And first of all, before we talk about what's going to happen in Canada, are you okay with the concept of leaving aside the whole concept of doctor-assisted suicide, that's very broad, but the specific of a child, of a parent going and saying, my child needs to be... Mm-hmm. put down, which is what it really is. Mm-hmm. Well, I am pro-right to die. And uh, this case, I, I was trying to do some research on it. Uh, CNN says that the age and identity of the child is unknown. However, I did find one report that said the child was 17. So I, I think age does make a difference. In, yes. ho- in Holland, um, the child has to be at least 12, which I guess is considered the age of reason. And I don't know if there's been cases in Holland where this has actually happened. I'm not sure, but uh, would so, you be okay with a 12 year old? Well, you know, this is a really difficult thing. Uh, if the, the Belgian case, the child, the doctor said the child asked for euthanasia, or the child, the teenager. I mean, you can get married at 17, so we have to, you know, the word child. I think is a little bit m- perhaps misleading. Um, this child was terminal. They didn't say what the disease was. Um, you have a child who is terminal, who is not going to die, who is who is going to die, and who is likely going to suffer. Um, it's very tricky. I mean, it's a very very sad thing, and I hope none of us ever have to be in that situation. But I think we've all seen people suffer on their deathbed and have known that they could have gone in a more peaceful, dignified, and loving way with the people that they love around them, and which I think is the ideal way to die, if possible. So, you know, this case also makes me think a little bit, I mean, there's some similarities. It's different of the Aboriginal girl uh, who died last year, or earlier this year, I think it was, who was 11 years old, who refused chemotherapy uh, at McMaster, even though she would have had a 75% chance of survival if she had chemotherapy, and she did not want it, and her family supported her in that, and she did die. So that I means much different than... Uh, but right. she, not she re- being treated is different it's from... It's different from actively, a- actively taking someone's taking was life. life. she that did not want it, though, or was it the parents well, that were... Well, it's hard to separate. The details, it's hard to separate. The details, I do, we don't know the the details were that she was very, very sick from the chemo. We know mm-hmm. what chemo does to a body. And she felt she saw Jesus and that Jesus told her... You know, It was from the child, and I think the parents were very supportive of that. So these are terribly difficult decisions. And 
You know, to see a child suffer and and know that they are in pain and that the pain could end in a peaceful way, who am I to judge? Um, And I don't think we have enough details on this particular case. We don't know the age. We don't know what the terminal illness was. We don't know what the relationship to the parents, you know, is. And, of course, there's room for... um, for very bad things to happen unless there are a lot of regulations in place. How many doctors were involved in this decision? Did it take place in a hospital? Uh, were other treatments explored? We don't know the answers to those questions. Uh, but um, Mike, what do you it, think? It's a, it's a very, very slippery slope. And um, we, we talked about this on your show uh, f- quite a few months ago, Scott, and I got home and my wife and I, we had a very long talk about it. Um, we're in a day and age now where drugs seem to be plentiful. Um, as a parent, thinking about my 12-year-old son, I don't know. I, I couldn't make that call. But what I would ask the doctors to do is, can you not just do anything you can to just make him feel comfortable? And we want to be around him and or her. And, and I'm, I don't. I hate even saying I it this know, way. I know it's hard to think of this you, in terms you, of your own family. You, you and you just can. Can we just be around them and knowing that they are at least comfortable? Here's the problem I have, and and, and I and I've been on the record before. I am against doctor-assisted suicide, but specifically in this case, if you have a child who is 12, 13, 11, whatever it is, no, I don't think there's any any country that lets an eleven-year-old decide. Okay, let's uh, even say twelve. But but you know what? Look, if 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 we have a parent who's going to if has a ten year old or an eight year old who's got leukemia or something that's terminal, we know that when the do- when a new law comes into place and it's challenged, there is a very good chance that the courts will give that an opportunity. We don't know where this is going to go, but the point is, we don't allow let's say 12 years old. We don't allow 12 years, 12 year olds to vote because we don't believe they are mature enough to make that kind of decision. We don't allow 12 year olds to drive a car. We certainly don't allow them to drink. There's a lot of things we say they're not capable of making that decision. And so the parents are the guardians of them. So now what you're in fact saying, if you allow a child to be euthanized is we're allowing a person to decide to kill another person Legally, and it's so troubling for that. I know that the, what you say about the parents looking at their child suffer, but what, where Mike calls, talks about the slippery slope, where is that slope? If we're mm-hmm. saying now, we're, what happens now if you know what, what if the kid what if the kid hasn't claimed that they want to necessarily have this, but the parents as the guardian are saying, well, no, that's the betterment, that's for the best of the kid. It's so dangerous that it's we're getting It's not just onto. the parents who are involved in these decisions, it's a team of physicians yes. as well. So, so far, uh, it, you know, in any of these countries that are allowing this, there's always expert opinion. So I don't think we would have a case where parents, I mean, we've had cases where parents have killed their children. Yes. Look at the Latimer case. Yes. Tragic. Tragic. And, uh, you know, out of desperation, his daughter was in so much pain and so much suffering. Who are we to say, if that was our child, that we wouldn't have done the same thing? And ha- but how do we also know that these physicians might be, might be being swayed one or the other, maybe financially? You know, like, uh, how, how can you even put trust in Well, financially or, Mike, I mean, you could have physicians who are strong advocates for the right mm-hmm. to die. And mm-hmm. so now here is a, a case that we have to put our... Mm-hmm 
not our money where our mouth is. I don't want to make it a financial thing, but put our our core beliefs where where we're going to act. I think I think these countries are proceeding cautiously. This law that uh, in Belgium in 2002, so a long time ago, they allowed right to die, uh, you know, passed right to die legislation, and two years ago they expanded it to children, and I don't know what the age limit is. So in two years. This is the first time this has happened. I don't think the floodgates are going to open on this. I think uh, there's a lot of uh, precautions in place. And I think, you know, far far too many people suffer needlessly. Um, we are so much more compassionate with animals when they're at the end of their life. This is not people who have some minor illness. These are people who are terminal, who are only going to suffer, who live in a hospital, and who want to choose their own ending. I would want that for myself. I would I would want that for myself to to you know if I was terminal so or at least have the right to have that choice. Um, I think with children we have to be very careful about age. What you say, Scott, about eleven, twelve. Um, you know what is the age of reason? Children could take the stand and be believed at the age of twelve. Uh, I think in this case the child was older, so I, I think age is is a consideration, and I think these parents are not making this decision in a vacuum. Yeah, my concern is that one of my concerns is that it appears in this country and in other countries that if you say, okay, here is the law, here is the bar, here's where we're setting the line that you, that something is legal, people do challenge these things in court. Mm-hmm. And the best intentions, the best plans of legislators and governments that put these things in with all the safety measures that they believe need to be put in to prevent things from happening can be and often are changed by courts based on that's your charter right, that's your legal right, that's whatever else. And again, I really believe, I I absolutely believe, and I could be proven wrong down the road, but that if when a law comes in for right to die for for physician-assisted suicide, that in Canada, people who are mentally ill will be given the opportunity, maybe not by the government, but as someone will go to court and argue for, and suddenly now depression will be depression, which is we're trying to stop people from committing suicide mm-hmm. when they're depressed. And the courts will, I guarantee you, I would bet money on it, will eventually throw open the door and say, well, that's an illness too. And that's not a curable, easily solvable illness. Uh, uh, and we where does it end? Of- does it end, you know, uh, because you're an amputee all of a sudden? I don't want to live the rest of my life because I don't look like everyone else. I don't think else. decisions are being made that way. I mean, really? do we know how many suicides happen in this country? People who take their own life into their I don't think you'll ever get the hands. true number. It's very high. It's and very and high. and the people who find them, people who are suffering, who don't want to live, why shouldn't they you know, be able to choose their ending? I I think it's humane, you know. It's it's to me it's just very dangerous and again the slope We have becomes, to make sure there's very strict regulations around. But how that. do you do how, that if the court How do you enforce How them? do you even if you put those laws in place, Anne, and 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 Again, I, I will give the benefit of the doubt and say I believe the government is not going to be flippant with this. Courts will allow things because it's your right. Why do you, as someone who has leukemia, have more of a right than me who has this or this or this? Do you think people should have the right to end their own life if they're suffering? If they're in you know terrible pain and suffering and they're going to die anyway? Should they be able to choose their ending? See, I'm I'm opposed to doctor assisted mm-hmm. suicide. Mm-hmm. So uh, they should suffer for a number of the reasons. Bitter end? For a number of reasons, one of them is because I believe the doctors by their by definition have taken an oath to not harm people, to not but harm Maybe and, not harming them is letting them go peacefully. Well, I also believe that, you know, we have for for hundreds, well for generations, 
had people of great character, people who have lived their life. And yes, you know what? Part of life, unfortunately, and I've seen it. I've seen it up close. Part of life, the end of life can be difficult, can be unpleasant, can be suffering. I don't believe that the people who have lived those lives in the past have somehow been less or their lives are less valuable or anything else because they decided that they were going to let the course of their life play itself out. But if we can alleviate suffering and that's what the person wants, why would we deny that to them? It's like we didn't have uh, narcotics maybe 200 years ago. So people, you know, had to die in horrible pain. Now we give them narcotics and dope them up so they don't feel the pain at the end of their life. Um, I just think it, it's, you know, I don't understand. I, I you know, I, I knew somebody who was very religious, who was very much against um right to die or pulling the plug or anything like that. And when this person's partner, who was elderly, had a stroke and was suffering, she begged the doctors to pull the plug. Now, that's often, different. Often until we're in the situation ourselves, until that's our child suffering, begging us to let them go, we don't really know what it's like. Now, it's that's something very different, Dan. That's something very different, and I'm, and I'm fully on board with you on that. I don't believe that we have any kind of obligation as a person, as a parent, as a society, if we have someone who is being kept alive by machines. I don't believe that pulling the plug in any way equates to doctor-assisted suicide. Right. But my point is that people who are opposed to some of these things, it's just like abortion. Opposed to abortion till your daughter gets pregnant. I mean, people's uh, personal opinions change when they are personally impacted. So, you know, let's face it. Until we're in that situation ourselves, we don't really know exactly how we'd feel. Um, I know it's a very, very tricky issue. And, uh, you know, the, the thought of you know killing a child seems just so so awful. But what is that child's life like? What if that was your child begging you to let them go peacefully? You know, I, I don't know what I would do. Love to hear from you on this one. Send me an email, radley at 900chml.com if you have a thought on this one. What do you think about this idea? And would you be okay, not just with the idea of doctor-assisted suicide, but if in this country we were to allow or courts were to expand things to allow children to be, what do we want to call it? The victims or the beneficiaries of physician-assisted suicide, to be euthanized, to be put down. I mean, it's, and, and when I say put down, you know what? That sounds flippant. I understand that sounds flippant, but the, the, the difficulty, the reason I use that phrase is because I don't believe that people get rid of their pets because they want to kill off their pet. No. And yet that's, they, they, they love them. But that's the word we use. We put them down. And if you are choosing another person, so it's not even you having the say on whether or not you are terminated, we are putting down, we'd be putting down kids. Are you okay with that? I'm very, very wary of walking into that. And I know Anne is too. Even, even though Anne supports it, I'm not suggesting that Anne is being flip about the idea of this. It's a really difficult, complicated one. I would just hate to get to the point where we start now having this happening in this country. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900, AM 900 CHML.